at them. Go. Turn in your Bible to the book of Ephesians. All right. We're already starting better than the first service. In the first service this morning, I had the wrong slides up. So that was a wonderful start. And the microphone was popping, so I'm using Carol Ann's uh, mic here uh, for just a moment. But again, turn in your Bible to the book of Ephesians. Turn in to And we've been talking. Well, let me make this statement first. Football which evidently Scott Bibby hates. Football <laughs> is this. Can we turn this up a little bit for me, Corey, please? I don't want to get all over Carolyn's mind and get her. Yeah, Scott evidently hates football, but that's okay. It's a game of inches. Have you ever heard that expression before? Football is a game of inches, and it's true. But I would say to you this morning that also the Christian life is a game of inches. The Christian life is a game of inches. You know, last week we were talking about Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, and we talked about our identity. Look at this next slide. We talked about the fact that our identity is found in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That our identity is found in the Trinity. That we were adopted into the family of God. That God has given us a spiritual inheritance. That this inheritance that he's given us right now, the Holy Spirit, is just a down payment of, of, of the glory of his riches and the life to come in eternity. But that we have this uh, spiritual inheritance from God and that who we are, our identity as believers, is found in the Trinity. Now this morning, I don't want to talk about our identity. Look at this next slide. I want to talk about our capacity our capacity. So we know who we are in Christ, and, and now we want to look at what Christ has given us. And again, Paul wrote this letter from prison to the church at Ephesus, and it was circulated around to all the churches in that area. And he's talking about the reality of who we are in Christ Jesus, and ultimately our response to who we are and what Christ has given us. And so often what happens is anytime you read one of Paul's letters or his epistles, what you'll find is he always starts with theology and doctrine, and then eventually he moves towards the application. The application, the so what. And so, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Once we know who we are, we have a better idea uh, that we have the capacity to do exactly what God has called us to do. So it starts with who we are, and now we move into the what has God given us. What we're going to do is we're going to look in our spiritual portfolio. We're going to check our spiritual checking account, and we see that God has given us this inheritance, this incredible inheritance that we have from God. Now, our Christian life, we often confuse this, it's made up of two dimensions. The first dimension is vertical, and the second uh, dimension is horizontal. In other words, it's not just about your relationship with God, that's true. We have faith in Christ, but it's also how we relate to others. Do we have love for others? There's these two dimensions to the Christian uh, faith, and Paul's going to talk about this in this letter, and he's going to pray. He's going to have a prayer. This is one of Paul's prison prayers for the church at Ephesus. And what's really interesting about this is that Paul doesn't ask God to give them spiritual, I mean, material things. Paul's not like, Lord, give them more money and help them have this or that. As a matter of fact, Paul in his prayers not really asking God to give them anything. Well, look at this next slide. He prays that God will reveal to them what they already have. In other words, his prayer is, God, you've already given this to them. 
Now show them, or kind of the, the churchy word we use all the time is illuminate. To illuminate, right? God revealed to their heart, revealed to the, their mind what they have in Christ. Now where does illumination come from? Look at this next slide. Illumination always comes from the Holy Spirit. In other words, you'll never understand the Word of God. You'll never understand God's calling on your life apart from the Holy Spirit. So illumination comes from the Holy Spirit. Look at this next slide. Also, illumination is a heart issue. It's a heart issue, right? It's not the ability to, to understand God's Word, the ability to live out God's calling on your life doesn't have anything to do with your IQ. It has to do with your EKG. It's a heart issue. You have to get it out of your mind and down to your heart. So Paul is basically saying, don't sleep on your identity. Don't take it for granted. Matter of fact, look at verse 15. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your, okay, vertical, your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Your love for all the saints. You see the vertical and the horizontal. Now, football is a game of inches. But again, I believe that the Christian life is a game of inches as well because head knowledge is not enough. It has to get down to our heart if it's ever going to make a difference. Look at verse 16. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, what you're about to see is Paul's going to pray very specific prayers for the church at Ephesus and those who are going to read this letter. Not just some general, generic prayer, right? When you're specific, you'll be prolific. When you're specific in your prayers, you're going to the next level. Look at verse 17. What does he pray for them? He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Let me encourage you for just a moment. Many of you have probably started a New Year's Bible reading plan, right? And like, you're like, I'm going to read through the Bible in 2020. And so as you do that, I want to encourage you, pray and ask God to illuminate his word to you, to show his wisdom to you in his word, uh, to illuminate it so that it can make it from your head down to your heart. You need to pray for yourself, pray for your family, pray for our church family. We should pray that the Spirit of God would illuminate and give us wisdom. Because ultimately, wisdom, godly wisdom, is what we need. Now this morning, again, we're talking about capacity. What has God given us the capacity for? Take some notes this morning. Write this down. Number one, He's given you, and I'm not talking about for lost people. This is really a message for believers. He's given you the capacity to know God. Now what do I mean? To know God better than you did yesterday. Look at verse 17. He said that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, I mean, practically, the atheist claims that we can't know God. There is no God. The agnostic says that, well, if there is a God, you can't really know him. You can't really know if there is a God. But Paul is saying, God is real. I've met him. His name is Jesus Christ, and you can know him. If you look at the world today and you're like, have you ever just looked around and be like, how did we get into this mess? Why do people act like that? How could they do that? Why do we have murder and rape and violence and people don't know what sex they are? Why do we have all these different problems in our society? Wars and just all kinds of uh, things that maybe you, wouldn't, you would think, why can't we get over this? And the reason for that is the willful ignorance about the existence of God and the authority of God. 
When we choose to live as if God doesn't exist, these things are a natural result. In the book of Romans, Paul describes the de-evolution, the de-evolution of man. And he says it starts with the willful, on-purpose ignorance of God. In other words, I'm going to choose that there's no God because that's a choice to believe that. I'm going to choose that there's no God. And what Paul says is that leads to idolatry, substituting the truth with a lie. And then he says that idolatry leads to immorality and indecency and all kinds of things. Our unwillingness to acknowledge who God is is the cause of so much evil in the world. Look what Paul said in your notes in Romans chapter 1 verse 18. He said, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And what it's saying is, ultimately, they kind of know what the truth is. They just don't like it. And so they suppress the truth, and this leads to more ungodliness and more wickedness. But the believer, according to Paul, should grow in their knowledge of God. Let's talk a little. To know God personally is salvation. To know God increasingly is what we call sanctification. It's uh, being sanctified, becoming more and more like Jesus. So to know God personally, salvation. To know God increasingly, sanctification. But to know God perfectly, which will happen someday in eternity when we're with Jesus forever and ever, is glorification. Salvation, sanctification, which ultimately leads to glorification. And something that many people miss and that we need to understand, knowing God more today than you did yesterday is just important for your everyday life. Look at this next slide. The better I know God, the better I know and understand myself and everybody else. The better we know God, the better we know ourselves, and the better that we know each other. Why is that? Because we were made in the image of God. And the better I know God, the better I know about myself. It's not enough to only know so many believers and so many Christians, they get saved, they come to know God as Savior, but that's it. That's the end of the story. I've arrived. I've accomplished what I needed to, uh, to accomplish. I'm saved. And they don't really get to know God anymore. And that's a tragedy. We have to know him for who he is. And the better we know him, the more satisfying our lives will be. The better I know Jesus, the better wisdom that I have. And we all need God's wisdom. Look at this next slide. What is wisdom? It's understanding life from God's perspective. Understanding life from God's perspective. That's what I need. That's what you need. I need to understand life from God's perspective because he's the one in control of this whole thing. I, I talked about it this morning in the first service, but uh, many of, I remember uh, before I got glasses, I was so arrogant about not having glasses. And like all the old guys, they'd be like, hey, man, when you turn 40, you're going to need glasses. I said, no, I won't. I have amazing eyes. I, could see, I used to make fun of Alicia. I would make fun of her. Right? Because she couldn't see. <laughs> like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, I could, without glasses, I could see better than she could with her glasses. Right? And I, I told if if strutting about not having glasses is a thing, I strutted, man. I'm like, Tch. and like I see the guys at church, I'm like, old man. I'm just bald. I'm not blind. Amen? <laughs> and then something happened. Something terrible. I needed glasses. <laughs> And it happened in my 40s. Amen? I know you're shocked to find out I'm in my 40s, but I mean, yeah, calm down. Calm down. Fountain of youth, whatnot. But once I, once I got in my 40s, I needed glasses and blah, blah, blah. But listen, have you ever done this? Have you ever put on somebody else's glasses? 
And I, I love doing it before I needed glasses. I've lost interest in doing this. But before I needed glasses, I would get like Alicia's glasses and I'd put them on and everything would just be like, oh, and I would be like, how do you see with these things on? Amen. And I'd say, how do you see with these? And I would like, oh, so like I wouldn't be able to walk around all day wearing somebody else's glasses. Does that make sense? And what many of us are doing, we're walking around wearing our glasses, and what we really need to be doing is walking around seeing life through the lens that God has for us, through God's glasses, seeing life through His perspective. When we see life from God's perspective, with God's wisdom, with God's lenses, then things clear up and they make sense. And we can actually see what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how we're going to get it done. But when I'm wandering around wearing somebody else's glasses with a different prescription, I can't see clearly to do the things that I need to do. When we have godly wisdom, when we have God's wisdom, it's only then that we can actually see clearly. When you've got God's wisdom, listen, if you're a Christian, you're a believer, and you're single in a dating relationship, it's a whole nother level. You don't act like unbelievers. When you're a believer and you're married, right? A whole nother level. When you're operating in God's wisdom, your marriage isn't going to look like the unbeliever's marriage. When it comes to your money and your finances, when you're walking in God's wisdom, it's a whole different ballgame. You're not going to be walking and living like unbelievers, so to speak. When somebody at work comes to you for advice, when you're walking in God's wisdom, when you have the right lenses on, you're seeing life from the right perspective, you're not going to give the same advice that somebody from the world is going to give because you're at a whole different level walking in God's wisdom. And that's what Paul is talking about with the fact that we need to know God intimately and personally so that we can have his wisdom. And that'll lead us to number two. We have capacity as believers to know God's purpose. Or God's calling on our life. We have the capacity to know that. Look at verse number 18. It says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. You have been called. And the calling that God has placed on your life is absolutely amazing. Now look at that. It says, What is the hope? Now this isn't one of those, like, I really hope so. Maybe, you know, I'm really counting on it. And, uh, you know, like the Baltimore Ravens last night going into the fourth quarter against the Titans. Is this too many football references, Scott? Are you mad right now? Are you upset right now? But listen, it's not this finger. This finger this, y'all, I wish y'all could have seen this face. He said, I hate football. All right. It's not this fingers crossed, I hope so, maybe it'll happen. When you see this in scripture, the hope of his calling, it's this word I like to use called Godfidence. It's confidence in God. Godfidence. In other words, it's this blessed assurance that what God has called to happen is going to happen. And ultimately, our blessed hope is the return of Jesus Christ. See, for us today, it's easy to confuse prices with value. Price with value. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. The city of Ephesus had a booming economy. It, it was the bank of that part of the world. They had all the money. Everything was amazing. It was just so rich as a city. They had the, um, the uh, 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 Diana worship. They had the temple uh, to Diana there, which was one of the wonders of the world at that time. I mean, Ephesus financially had everything going for it. And again, we know the price, but we don't understand the value. Because today, Ephesus is just a city in ruins. None of that awesome, amazing stuff is really worth anything anymore. It's an archaeologist's dream come true because they could go there and dig in the dirt and find things. 
right? But all that stuff that everybody had in Ephesus back then when Paul was writing this is now gone or it's still in the dirt and in the mud. But those believers at Ephesus, those who had trusted Christ, those who knew him intimately, those who were called according to his purpose, those believers in Christ, they're alive right now in Christ Jesus in heaven right now as we speak. And if you looked at that as the world looked at it, and you looked at the church, and you think these crazy Christians, they're not worth much. They don't have much value. Listen, many times we surrender some eternal value, what God's calling and purpose on our life is, for cheap, temporary value that the world places on things. There were people in Ephesus that were leaving their family behind, that abandoned the faith, that turned their back on God, so that they could make money to buy things that some archaeologist was going to dig out of the dirt a couple of thousand years later and go, I wonder what this was. We know the price, but we don't really understand eternal value. We need to know God's purpose for our life. Number three, write this down. Also, uh, uh, Paul prayed that we'd have the capacity to know God's riches, to know God's riches. To know him personally, to know his purpose, his calling, and to know. Look at verse 18. He says, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Now, now this phrase does not mean, okay. All right, so last week in, in Ephesians, the first part of verse 1, we talked about how uh, we have a spiritual inheritance that God has given us uh, through the Holy Spirit. He's the down payment. He's the earnest money on this inheritance we have to come. This verse isn't talking about that. This verse is saying that you are the spirit. If you're a believer, you are the spiritual inheritance of Christ. That when God looks at his portfolio, when God looks at how his stock market is doing, when God looks at his checking account balance online, that when God uh, uh, you know, does an inventory and looks at all of his assets, he claims you as one of his assets. That you are a spiritual inheritance in Christ. He considers you on the positive side of the ledger. He considers us to be part of his great wealth. When God is separating all the pros and the cons, if you're a believer, you're a pro. See, here's the thing. We have a difficult time understanding that. Look at this next slide. God deals with us on the basis of our future, not our past. See, there, a minute ago when I was talking about price and the value and, and all of that, and then we're talking about that we are the spiritual inheritance of Christ, we don't feel worthy. We don't feel like we bring much to the table because you're always living in the past. All you think about are the, dirt, the things that you've done in the past, the things that have held you back in the past. You think about who you used to be and what you've done. And if people only knew, you think about those things and God isn't looking at that anymore. Once you come to Christ and he forgives you, he's looking at your future. Think about Gideon. Have you ever heard, raise your hand, have you heard of Gideon in the Bible? Look at Judges chapter 6, verse 12. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him, Gideon, and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. When God said that to him through the angel of the Lord, when he said that to him, Gideon was hiding in a hole, shaking in his sandals. And his response is, Man, I'm the runt of my family. <laughs> I'm the... I'm the least, of, and my family's the least of the least. I'm the runt of my family, and I'm in the runniest family in the whole kingdom. How can I be a mighty man of valor? Think about Peter. Peter missed, Peter's his life motto. If he was going to get a slogan tattooed on his chest, you know, for his life motto, it would say, open mouth, insert foot. 
But look what Jesus said about Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He says, and I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Gideon, if you know the story, did become a mighty man in battle. Peter was that rock for the early church. And we as Christians need to stop living in yesterday and live in the reality of who we are and what we have in Christ. Now, what's it based on? Again, faith and love. Look at verse 15 again. He said, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. Look at this next slide. The evidence of your salvation, the evidence that you have faith in Christ is your love. Now, some people are easy to love. Amen. Okay, let's try. <laughs> Some people are hard to love. Amen? Yeah, I knew that would get you. We need to understand that. We live in the world of the Bible study. The Bible study. Everybody wants to do a Bible study. Can I do a Bible study? Brother Marcus, can you recommend a Bible study for me? Or, or you know, Brother Marcus, what we need is another Bible study. And I just think, man, you come to church once a month. We have Bible studies every Sunday. You're not coming to those. Why would we create a new one for you not to come to? Now, I believe in Bible studies. Believe that, okay? I believe in Bible. I'm a big, I'm a huge believer in studying the Bible. But if it never gets from here to here where it's really going to matter and show up in your life, it's not going to do any good. Simply knowing the truth will not change you living the truth. You need to know the truth, but facts alone have never saved anybody or changed anybody. Some of the most knowledgeable and Biblically literate, smartest Bible people I know are also the meanest, the most judgmental, right? This is a negative, and right, and it's, it's like they know more Bible than you, they memorize more Bible verses than you, and they're never going to let you forget it. And they're superior, and they're haughty, and they think they've got it all figured out. You know why I know they don't have it all figured out? Because the evidence of our faith is what? Love. Love. And many times, some of these people don't demonstrate love. Again, you need Bible knowledge in your life, but you also need love. It must move from your head to your heart. I think about many times families that come to Grace Baptist Church, and I'll talk to parents, and we've got such a wonderful children's program and our nursery. And our, If your kids are in nursery, they're being taught Bible right now as we speak. And also, you know, just trying to contain them like a herd of cats. Amen. But from nursery to our children's church, our Sunday school classes, our teenagers, our church does an amazing job. We've got some of the best people in the world working with our children and our students. And I'll talk to parents sometime, and they'll be like, man, I just, you know, my kids are learning so much, and we just love it here, and the kids are really learning, and the kids are really learning. And for some reason, we kind of get to this phase in life where we think that all of this is about raising good kids. Let me tell you what Grace Baptist Church, West Tennessee... America and the world needs more than raising good kids. The number one need, we need to raise good dads. And sir, until the truth of the word of God grips your heart and changes your life, all we're doing is holding back the tidal wave of God's condemnation upon your family. We need godly men who are gripped by the word of God. Now God, he, listen, he'll save your kids anyway. I believe that by faith. Statistically, it's probably not going to happen. Like if you're a pagan, like father, like son, it's really, statistically, it's really true. If you don't bring your family to church, 
right? If just the mom brings the kids to the church, we know uh, uh, statistically it's way less likely that they'll get saved. But a father who brings his children to church, who is actually a born-again believer, who loves the Lord, is growing in the Lord, understand his purpose on this earth, right? That kind of man reproduces that kind of man and that kind of woman. And so our greatest need today isn't the world's best children's church, and we got it. Our need today isn't to have wonderful people in the nursery. We got it. Our need today isn't to have the best Sunday school teachers in West Tennessee. We've got that too. Our need today are for godly men and godly woman, women to allow the word of God to grip their heart and change their life. To get it from here to get it to here. Football is a game of inches. But the Christian life, man, is a game of inches. It doesn't matter how much. Listen, I bet right now, right now, I could do a survey. Every one of us here can say what the speed limit is out there in those four lanes. And I bet if we're honest, we all know what the speed limit is. But I've seen you pass me, amen? <laughs> the fact that you know it doesn't change how fast you're driving, does it? Hmm. And no matter how much of God's word that you know, it's not going to change your life until it travels down this highway to your heart. I mean, I know I've got a sinful nature. When I get out here, I've got to put it on cruise control. Amen? Or I'll be... <laughs> Look at this next slide. Information is the word and illumination is the application. What I mean is you need the information, but you need to pray that God will illuminate this in your heart, in your mind, and make it to your hands and to your feet to where it actually impacts your life. That's the reason why sometimes you read the Bible and it's boring. It's because you're not, your mind's not and your heart's not being illuminated. You need to ask for that. God, I'm about to spend my 10 minutes reading the Bible. Help me. Give me what I need from your word. Now, number four, write this down. We also have the capacity to know God's power. We, we can know God more today than I did yesterday, right? I can know his purpose, his calling for my life. I can know the riches of, of being surrendered to Christ Jesus, but I can also know his power and his power is what we need. Look at verse 19. It says, and what is the, listen to this language. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Wow. And see, and by making us an inheritance, God has shown us his love. He's promised us a wonderful future. He's encouraged our hope. And right here, he's talking about power. There are six words in the Greek that can be used for power. And in this, this couple of verses, Paul uses four out of the six words that he could have used to describe power. He used uh, dunamis, that's where you get the word for uh, dynamite, dunamis, energia, kratos, and iscus. He's describing the potent power that is available to us. Why do we need God's power in our life? You're never going to be the man of God, the woman of God, right? The, the child, the student, the boy, the girl that God has called you to be without his power in your life. You can't just will power your way into this thing. Matthew 26, verse 41 tells us that we're weak. Jesus in the garden said, watch and pray lest you enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We're weak on our own without Christ's power. The devil wants to rob that victorious Christian life from you. And Paul here is showing us there is power in the resurrection of Jesus. 
I mean, there's so much more here than just Jesus being raised from the dead. Look at verse 19 in your Bible again. He says, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him where at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. What's he saying? Look at this next slide. Jesus isn't just savior, man. He is sovereign. He rules. He reigns over everything and everyone. Look at verse 22. What does that mean for us? It says, and referring to Jesus, says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, if he's the head, we're the body. If everything's under his feet, where's everything under you? It's under your feet. He'll go on, I think, in Ephesians 3, and he'll point out very specifically that everything that Christ has, we're uh, heirs of God, we're joint heirs of Christ. Everything that Christ has, we have. The fact that all these principalities and powers and all these things are under the feet of Jesus, they're under your feet too. But you're not living like it. You're living like they're all over your head. Christ has assumed that exalted, sovereign position, and he has taken you with him, and he has placed everything under your feet so that you can live a life surrendered to his calling his purpose in your life so that you can glorify his name here, now, and then eventually for all of eternity. And he's given you this exalted position, but you're living like you're a prisoner when he has given you victory. Again, look at verse number 19 says, what is the exceeding greatness of his power for who? Towards us who believe. That's your resource. That's your capacity. That he has given you everything that you need. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Look at this next slide. Now's the time. He's given you incredible resources. He's given you everything you need for life and for holiness. He's given you everything that you need to accomplish his mission for you in this life. But now is the time. Let me, let me explain this to you. Someday you're going to die. And when you die, you will no longer be able to accomplish God's will for your life. If you're going to accomplish God's will for your life, you're going to have to do it while you're living. It has to happen now. See, we, we punt. We think, oh, I'll, I'll, next year, I'll, I'll start reading the Bible in 2021. I'll start doing what God wants me to do later. I'll do better next week. I'll do better. And we, we're punting because we're living in our own power. We're not surrendered to his power, recognizing the spiritual inheritance that he's given us. And we're not living as if all of those things are under our feet. We're living like they're all over our heads. And when we do that, the truth is we're just running out of time. Now is the time. If you're ever going to accomplish God's will for your life, it has to start now. Now, I shared this on my social media accounts uh, last week, I think. And somebody had took your age and they put it with the time of day, right? So midnight is the end of the line, right? So it's a 24-hour day. Look at this next slide. So if you're here this morning and you're age 20, and uh, if that's you... Uh, raise your hand real quick. 20 and under. Raise your hand. Hi, you're young. Your shoulder don't hurt. Amen. All right. All right. We hate them, don't we? Amen. We hate all of you. So young. Does your back hurt? I bet it don't. Half of you didn't have glasses. Well, if you're 20, it's 1134 a.m. Now, that might seem like you've got a lot of time. It's 1134. You got to midnight. Hey, guys, uh, people who aren't 20 and younger anymore. Didn't it seem like it was 11.34 yesterday? Raise your hand. Yesterday. It goes by in a flash. Now, if you're age 30, it's 1.51 p.m. Okay. Get ready for those glasses. 
If you're age 40, it's 4.08 p.m. It's getting later. If you're age 50, it's 6.25. If you're age 60, it's 8.42. And if you're age 70, it's 11 p.m. Use your time wisely. It goes by quicker than you think. This might be encouraging for some of you. It might be a wake-up call for some of you. Look at this next slide. But if you're going to do it, now is the time. Today is the appointed day. Now is the time for you to understand your identity, who you are in Christ, and the amazing capacity and the gift and the inheritance that he's given you so that it can go from your head to your heart and finally to your hands and your feet. For some of you, it's 11 o'clock p.m. and it still hasn't made it to your hands and your feet. Now is the time. We're not promised tomorrow where you can be about that journey about being who God has called you to be because it's a, football is a game of inches. But so is the Christian life, getting it from your head to your heart to your hands and feet. If not now, when? Because now is the time. Let's pray. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for this identity, God, that it's not me, that, Lord, that I don't represent myself. And, and Lord, you know how I just fall so short of who you call me to be. But, Lord, I'm so grateful that my identity in you is based on the future, on who you've called me to be and the salvation that you've guaranteed and promised. Lord, I thank you for the down payment, the Holy Spirit in my heart and my life, where I can operate uh, with your wisdom and not mine. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed. Please be respectful of your neighbors for just a moment. For those of you this morning, you know that you're saved. You know that you've been forgiven. You know that you have the Holy Spirit in your heart. The Spirit confirms with your spirit. You know that you're saved. And we're going to do what we call an application sermon. I just want to give you an opportunity to apply this message to your heart and to your life. And your prayer this morning is simply this. You're a believer. You know that you're saved. God, get it from my head to my heart. Is that your prayer this morning? Slip your hands up all over, the, all over, all over, all over. Father God, I just recognize, Lord, that now is the time. Lord, help me to move and operate in what you've already shown me, what you've already taught me. Help me to get it from my head to my hands, Lord, and to my heart. Lord, I thank you for your power in my life. Lord, forgive me for when I act like I'm doing it on my own, when I strain. Lord, when I try to get things done in my own power. Lord, help me to know that I live and I can operate in your strength. Lord, thank you for your purpose and for your calling on my life. Lord, thank you for your purpose and calling on all of our lives. Lord, help us to walk in that truth, being exactly who you've called us to be. But God, help us not to fill our heads with just head knowledge, but Lord, help us to get it into our hearts and to our lives. Lord, help us to be the men and women of God that you've called us to be. Lord, no more excuses. No more do-overs. Starting right now, Lord, we surrender our total selves to you. Lord, we want to be your hand and feet as your people. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Those of you who are here this morning, you may not, you don't know that you're saved. You don't know that you're forgiven. You don't know that you're redeemed. We're talking about Holy Spirit power and, and purpose and God's calling on your life and, and all of these different things, your identity in Christ Jesus. And the truth is, you know that your identity is apart from God, that you've never prayed to receive Christ. You've never asked God to forgive you. You've never asked God to save you from your sins. Let me ask you, what are you waiting on? It's simple. Will you look up for just a second? 
What, like Brother Marcus, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I have to do to be forgiven? What do I have to do to have God's calling, God's purpose on my life? What do I have to do to have God's power literally in my life? Look at this next slide. In the book of Acts, this, uh, one, this jailer said the same thing, to asked the same thing to a couple of apostles. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. You just got to believe on Jesus. Now, not a, we, what do we talk about? Getting it from our head to our heart. Not just this intellectual tip of the cap. I believe in God. Uh, I, I believe in Jesus. There's this guy named Jesus. Did some good stuff and there's a cross. No, 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 no. Believe in your heart what God's word says about you. That you're a sinner. That your sin separates you from God. And that you can't save yourself. That Jesus came, lived a perfect sinless life. He died for sinners like you and like me. And he went to the cross, the perfect lamb, sacrificed the death, burial, and resurrection. And he was resurrected on the third day. And right now, he's at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for the saints. He's praying for you. You believe in that, Jesus. And you surrender your life to him. He will save you. And men, listen, I love what this says. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You and your household. Now, this doesn't mean that this jailer guy, that he got saved, and then that just automatically leaked on everybody else in the family. Everybody in the family had to choose Jesus. Does that make sense? But, sir, can I tell you, you choose Jesus, they will too. You choose Jesus, you let your wife see the difference that God is making in your life, she'll choose Jesus too. You choose Jesus, you let the Holy Spirit radically change you from the inside out, your children will see that, and they'll choose Jesus too. Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, it's just me. I'm a wife, I'm a mom, my husband. Out of the picture, I'm a single mom. Man, you choose Jesus. And God will bless your choice. And I believe with all my heart, he'll save you and your household. But you gotta trust him, and you gotta believe. It has to get from here to here. But it will start with you. And now is the time. Will you pray with me one more time? Let's pray one more time. Every head bowed. Every Please be respectful of those around you. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Just a moment. When you're here right now. You know that you need Jesus. When I was speaking, you knew right there in that moment that God was speaking to your heart. Hey, man, you need to get saved. Now's the time. You don't have forever. Get right now. God's been speaking to your heart. Listen, I, I just... I won't embarrass you. I won't call you out. I just want the privilege of praying with you. So if you're sitting, every head bowed, every eye closed, pray for your neighbor. You're sitting here right now and you're like, Marcus, that's me. I want to pray to receive Jesus Christ right now. Would you just slip your hand up for just a second? God bless you. I see you. I see you. Who else? Listen, those of you two that raised their hands, maybe there's others and you didn't raise your hand just now, but you know God's speaking to your heart. Raising your hand, that won't save you. <laughs> Filling out a card won't save you. Being baptized won't save you. Trusting, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. So how do you do that? You can pray a prayer like this. It's not the prayer. It's you humbling yourself before God. But maybe you could just pray and say, God, I agree with what your word says. I'm a sinner. Lord, I sin. But God, I'm turning from my sin. I repent, and I'm turning to Jesus Save me, Jesus. Tell him, say, Lord, I'm believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Like your word says, I'm trusting your death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation. All of me, I surrender to all of Christ. Save me, Jesus. 
Guys, listen, you pray that prayer, I guarantee, based on the word of God, he says that anyone, even somebody like you, and even somebody like me, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Did you call on them? I want to encourage you to make that public. Maybe you prayed that prayer this morning. Maybe you've prayed that at some other point, some other time. You need to follow through with baptism. The first step of obedience in the life of the believers to follow through with baptism. It's a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. Have you been baptized? You need to be. It's your first step of obedience. Maybe you're here and your salvation and your baptism are out of order. You know that you got saved at some point, uh, but it was like after you got baptized. Or, in the Bible, it's always you get saved and then you get baptized. You need that for a clean conscience. You need that to be walking in obedience. Maybe you're here this morning and and, and we, you can just come and we'll pray with you and rejoice with you and schedule that time. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that God has called you to Grace Baptist Church. This is your church home. This is your church family. This is where you want to serve. This is where you want you and your family to grow. If God has confirmed that in your heart, why don't you come this morning and make it official. We'll rejoice with you and pray with you. But this morning, just an acknowledgement of the power of God we have in our life, the purpose of God upon our lives, I want to encourage you to be obedient during this invitation and do business with God. Father God, we surrender this invitation to you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I see. You are my all in.